Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. We're frequently mentioned in people's obituaries. Grandma passed away at age 93. She loved doing video calls with her grandchildren on Grandpad. And so that makes us feel good. It motivates us. It inspires us. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Isaac Lean was a college student in California who wanted to stay in touch with his grandma in Iowa. He tried to use popular video conferencing platforms to connect, but it was just too difficult for her to manage. So he built a software program that took her limited tech abilities into account. That was his mission, connect with grandma. But from solving that very specific problem, a business was born. Isaac's father, Scott, saw the potential right away. Together, they built GrandPad. It's a fast-growing company that doesn't just sell hardware or provide software. It makes it easy for seniors to connect with family, friends, and caregivers. This is no fledgling startup. GrandPad now employs 165 people. It's reached 1.6 million people with its device and has raised $31 million to keep the whole enterprise growing. Of course, it helps that Scott had a whole career in corporate IT before becoming an entrepreneur. And that started with Scott buying his very first computer by selling a pig. <laughs> it's true. I grew up on a farm in Iowa, and uh, it was a fantastic place to grow up. You learn about working with your family, which probably uh, is why my son and I are working together, and just hard work and do what needs to be done. And I was really lucky that I had an uncle who was a great mentor to me. He was a, a, a technology engineer. And he exposed me to computers. This is back, I'm, I'm 58, so this is back in the Apple IIe days in the 70s. And I kind mm-hmm. of fell in love with technology and the possibilities that that had. And so, um, you know, I was doing uh, computer, uh, learning computers in school and elementary. And I'm like, you know, my mom and dad who encouraged me said, you know, hey, save your money, work hard. You can work on the farm. And so from that, I was able to... Uh, to buy a computer by selling a pig on the farm. So <laughs> very cute. Very nice. Cute yes. pig? <laughs> okay. Um, so you sort of knew early on that that was your path. You wanted to go into computer science. or What I loved about uh, technology was the impact it could have on people's lives and that it's not technology for technology's sake. So we started to use uh, uh, a computer on the farm of how it could help make us more efficient or better or save us time. Hmm. And then, um, you know, I went went off to school for computer science and business, double major, and leveraging those business skills, how to build a company and drive results. But how can we really leverage technology? And, you know, my whole career, which I I feel like I'm kind of in the fourth chapter of my career, and Hmm. hopefully it's a long book with a lot of chapters. But I really feel like everything I've done in my 30-plus year technology career 
has really prepared me for being in this role as a co-founder and CEO of GrandPad. I'm curious, did being an entrepreneur or starting something, was that even on your radar? Or, I mean, because you sort of had a traditional path of going, you did technology for big companies. Yeah, you know, I, I did. I'm, I'm maybe, um, it took me maybe till age 50 um, to really realize and find my true passion and calling because I, I did work for a number of big, well-known, you know, Fortune 50 kind of companies. Right. Bank and, of America, Intuit. Yeah, Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And um, I love those companies, but I think really upon reflection, I was always kind of that entrepreneur, that kind of hmm. agitator and innovator within those big companies. And I was really fortunate to have great bosses and mentors at those companies and be involved in those companies when they were really innovating and transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, big one here in, in Minneapolis, Best Buy. I was there in 1998, 99, when they were really transforming from what they called a, a product-centric company. Mm-hmm. People came to their brick-and-mortar stores at the time, bought products, and they were excellent at that, but they didn't really have an ongoing customer relationship. And they made that transition to a customer-centric company. And I got to be part of that. And so that was really a big innovation. When I was at Bank America, I was there at the time the iPhone was introduced. And we had online banking, but nobody, this is 18 years ago, right? And so no one did mobile banking then. Mm -hmm. And we could all remember like the first time you're like, boy, I'm not sure if I want to move money around or pay bills on my phone. Is this safe and secure? We really leaned into that. And our mobile banking app at Bank America just took off like wildfire. We were as a techie. This was a big honor. Steve Jobs held up our Bank of America mobile app at at a conference that, you know, mobile banking is on the iPhone. So even within those big companies innovating and driving things forward, but um, always trying to say, you know, hey, how can we use technology to improve people's lives? Mm-hmm. So, Isaac, what was it like growing up with your dad? Where, what, what, how did you get your first computer? I'm guessing you didn't have to sell a pig. I did not have to sell a pig, <laughs> uh, luckily. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up with my dad, I was exposed to technology from as long as I can remember. I yeah. was born in 1994, so, you know, I'm a late-stage millennial. Um, the Internet's always been a part of my life, and mm-hmm. so have computers. So um, so what what was your big computer game growing up, I'm trying to think? I liked Age of Empires. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great game, and then, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, but one of the things I enjoyed early on was making games. So I was exposed to programming by my desire to make video games. So I would program little video games that I could play with myself and my friends. Mm-hmm. And that was my first entry into, okay, actually, from using computers to building things on computers. Hmm. And so, you, and, and Scott, I'm guessing you encouraged this. I did, but... Being careful because I was lucky. My parents and my mom in particular, and both my parents are gone now, but my mom didn't ever push me down a certain path Mm -hmm. like, hey, you need to follow in your father's footsteps. Um, You need to discover what your true calling, what your passion is. And she always like, you can be anything you want to be. And, you know, young, you know, like one day I was going to be an astronaut. Next day I was going to be a fireman. Next day I was going to be a scientist. Mm -hmm. And, And you know, then you kind of follow your, your calling or find your calling. And that's what we tried to do with Isaac as well. So you enrolled in school. Um, you went to uh, Chapman mm-hmm. to study computer science. I'm curious, when you went down that path, were you thinking to yourself that you wanted to follow a similar path like your father, that you wanted to work in technology for a big company? Were you thinking about starting something of your own? Where was your head at? Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to work in technology, um, but I'd say I'd been thinking about starting a technology company from probably 
11 or 12, I mm. knew I wanted to build a company and, and start something mm -hmm. versus go and work at a big company. So that was the goal. One of the reasons I chose Chapman was they had a really good kind of technology accelerator for um, startups that started in the university. So mm -hmm. that was one of the things that drew me there. I was studying computer science and business. And once we had the idea for, for GrandPad, we were able to launch it from the campus. They gave us, you know, a place to work, helped us find great employees and, and, and students at the uh, university to help us. So, so let's talk about mm -hmm. the idea. So it was mm -hmm. while you were at school that you, and you were trying to communicate with your, your grandma? Yeah. So to kind of paint the picture, um, you know, I was in high school in Southern California. That's where my whole family was living. I went to college at Chapman, which is in Orange County. All of my grandparents lived in small rural towns in Northeast Iowa, mm -hmm. where, you know, my dad grew up. And the problem was doing a video call with my grandparents, sharing a photo. It just didn't work for them because iPads, you know, standard desktops, they didn't use technology and computers throughout their lives. So they didn't have that built up context. And trying to get my grandma, for instance, my, my dad's mother, she had severe hearing loss. I mean, it was a neurological issue that hearing aids couldn't help. Mm -hmm. Louder volume couldn't fix it. And that meant the only way to actually communicate with her, phone calls just would not work. We couldn't talk to her on the phone. There was no way she could understand what we said. Hmm. You had to do a video call where she could read lips and we could type in the chat. But we tried doing Skype. She would struggle with it or Skype would update and change the way, you know, she learned how to do it. We'd write instructions and then Skype would change its interface. Yeah. And she got frustrated with herself. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? You know, am I having memory loss? No, you're not, Grandma. The it's technology. hard. I always had trouble yeah. with Skype too. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we, we really had that empathy for my grandma and, you know, both my dad and I being technology minded people thought, hey, what if we just build something that can work for grandma? We, we didn't think we were starting a company at that point. We just wanted to build a simple prototype to do a, vi you know, we could preload an app on a, on a simple tablet. She could press one button and it would connect to us in California. So hmm. we quickly built that prototype in about two weeks, gave it to my grandma and she was able to press it and she loved it. All of the challenges and frustrations she had with Skype, which made her not even want to try it anymore, went away when the technology was seamless. So wow. for her, it wasn't, oh, I'm using technology, I'm doing this thing. It was just, oh, I'm just talking to Scott and Isaac. And that was the unlock for us when we realized if you can make the technology sufficiently simple where it's about connecting human beings, it's not about apps and an interface and all the other challenges, anyone can use technology. Nobody was designing those kinds of video chats with seniors in mind or with tech-challenged individuals in mind before. Right, exactly. Huh, so interesting. So you built it in two weeks? Are you kidding me? So, so at that point, did you say, okay, what are the next steps? Now you're thinking, okay, this is actually, this could be a business? Yeah, was, and I have to give credit. It was really Isaac that had the original idea and said, we can build this. Let's, let's build something explicitly designed for grandma, who was mm -hmm. 80 at the time. We did that. And we saw the transformational effect. I then started in parallel kind of looking at the opportunity, being a, a business guy and entrepreneur. And I was like, we all know there's lots of elderly people. But when we started looking at the numbers and then assessing the marketplace and, and you know, who are the competitors in that space, we just saw a huge opportunity and a huge business opportunity. But the thing that really motivated us to take that leap and that continues to drive us today is our mission. Our mission to improve the quality of life for super seniors by reconnecting them in a safe and simple way 
with their family, friends, and caregivers. Mm-hmm. Super seniors is a term that you guys used. How do you define what a super senior is? Yeah, so uh, those over the age of 75. Um, I'm 58. AARP calls me a senior. <laughs> right. Anyone over the age of 50, yeah. you know, like retirement is age 65 and older. And But what we've learned is where um, it's, it's for most of us, um, the majority of us between the age of 75 and 85 is where um, life really starts to happen. Both physical and cognitive changes will happen, part sure. of the natural aging process that will make standard technology, standard smartphones and laptops and standard tablets, and we use that in kind of a derogatory way in this context. Those standard technology, that was designed by 30-year-olds for 30-year-olds, mm-hmm. right? And again, 58, my phone, the buttons are small, my, got the huge font and all that, and it's, it's getting harder for me. Mm-hmm. So we said, if we, if we design something explicitly for this age group, 75 and older, it'll be natural for them and they love it and it will be easy and enjoyable and meet their needs. Mm-hmm. So that's what we set off to do. And, um, and we just saw how big of an opportunity. We've now reached more than 1.6 million people cumulatively, the seniors, their families and caregivers. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work for a lot of great companies and brands and products, but this is the first company where kind of the emotional testimonials that we get about how Grandpad, you know, really changed my mother's life or brought our family back together, or we're frequently mentioned in people's obituaries. Grandma passed away at age 93. She loved doing video calls with her grandchildren on Grandpad. And so that makes us feel good. It motivates us. It inspires us. So when you first recognize this opportunity. You have this aha moment, Isaac, and and you start cranking on the technology. Meanwhile, Scott, you're realizing this is a real business opportunity. What did the two of you do then? Did you, because GrandPad is an actual tablet. It's not just software. Why? Why not just build software? Yeah, so we thought building software might be the solution. You know, the first prototype we made was a simple app that we loaded on a standard uh, Android tablet. But then we started seeing all these other little points of frustration, we call them, these little poofs, uh, POFs, poof points that my grandma and others had when we started just testing our initial, initial solution. So for instance, imagine you're you know, 87, you have some dexterity challenges, maybe some tremors, you have bad eyesight, uh, maybe your macular degeneration, and now you have to plug in a small micro USB cord to an Android device. Mm-hmm. It's very, very challenging. Um, for many people in this age group and many people in general. So we saw, okay, you know, we need a simpler charging solution. People can use the video calls, but when the battery dies on the tablet, they can't call their family anymore. We had one, um, one woman we met very early on who used an iPad and we saw she had like a 20 foot extension cord plugged into her cable uh, for her iPad. And we saw this in her house. She had this big cord laying around and we're like, oh, what's that for? She said, oh, well, one time, um, you know, after my kids had left, they were visiting, my iPad died and I couldn't get it plugged back in until they came back and visited two weeks later and I couldn't do any video calls with them. Mm. So because she couldn't plug it in. So we said, OK, we have to solve that. Um, so, so pretty quickly you started realizing we need an actual device of our own. GrandPad is going to be its own tablet. Right. It needed to be its own tablet. We could solve hardware challenges like that with dual front facing speakers. So very loud speakers. So someone like my grandma could hear. And then the other piece is, by controlling the entire end-to-end experience, we can deliver world-class customer care. Meaning, if someone calls us and has a question, 
and you know they don't know what to do or you know they can't really describe where they're at on the screen, we can actually, with their permission, we can remotely access the device. We can see what's on their screen. We can push commands down. We mm-hmm. can fully remotely configure the device. So it really saves customer support um, and it makes it much easier to support our users. Hmm. Yeah, just to add to that, we early on realized that None of us have ever been 80 or 90 <laughs> or 100. Yeah. Our oldest user so far, Hester Ford, was 116. Whoa. Right. Um, 116. Yeah, she's the oldest person in the United States. And, Amazing. And Did you send her a grand pad? Yeah, she, she, um, she got a grand pad through one of our business partners. And then we, we read about her in the, in the paper. She was on the news as the oldest person. And she talked about her grand pad. And so Amazing. then we got to get connected with her. And so- we quickly realized that us uh, younger people that have never been 80 or 90, it's impossible for us to know what it's like. Mm-hmm. We've never, we don't know what the, the health, physical and cognitive health issues are, what it's like to have macular degeneration as an example. So instead of us guessing and coming up with the wrong solution, our secret sauce, and I'm happy to share with everyone, is our group of grand advisors. We have a group of 10 super seniors, all of them are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, our oldest right now, Ed, who lives near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ed is 102 years old and he <laughs> works for us. I love it. Ed is a World War II Pearl Harbor survivor. Mm. And so we work with them all the time and they are the designers of mm-hmm. GrandPad, the end-to-end experience. Mm-hmm. And we're just the hands that builds what they want. And we listen with deep empathy and understanding and caring not judgment. And from that, as an example, Isaac touched on customer care. They told us loud and clear, like, well, if I have a question, I want to be able to call someone. So we have a big help button. You press it. It rings our customer care seven by 24 by 365. Really? And we learned this by one of our grand advisors. She said, well, you know, I call a lot of places, but they're never open when I call. And we said, well, when do you call? Well, you know, since my husband of 60 years passed away, you know, I can't really sleep at night. And so a lot of times I'm up at two in the morning and that's when I'm up and around. And so she said, if I have a question, I want to call you. So we answer the phone seven by 24 by 365. And those are people that you're not outsourcing. No, these are are all our employees, U.S. based, who are highly trained, um, love working with seniors. But the other thing the seniors shared with us, they said, whenever I call my insurance company or anything, I get this machine that answers, mm-hmm. press one for this, three for this, enter your 16-digit customer number. And by the time I get to a hold of a human being, I'm so frustrated and I can't hear what's going on. A lot of times I just give up. Hmm. So I said, don't have any of those. Just answer the phone and solve a question. So we don't even own one of those VRUs, press one for this, two for that. We answer the phone, and that's a huge part of the value. And um, so we just looked at that whole end-to-end customer experience from first touch point to last touch point. And we even had to redesign the packaging in the box, right? So if I'm 90 and have dexterity issues, maybe I'm on warfare and blood thinner, you buy a package or a package comes in the mail, like you got to get a knife and scissors and it's hard to open. I could cut myself. That's very dangerous if I'm on blood thinner. So we made an easy to open box. So as Isaac said, it's dozens of those poof points, points of frustration that we've eliminated Hmm. that create a delightful customer experience. When we get back, how Scott and Isaac took GrandPad from a tool for their family to a product for the masses. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. 
Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan, with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best and Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Once they had the technology worked out, Grandpa had to think about how to go to market and how to provide customer service to this very specific audience. Take a listen. How long did it take to actually develop a, a sellable product? And did you do that mostly at school, Isaac? The early prototypes? Yeah, I mean, the early prototypes we built while I was at Chapman. We quickly, uh, we went to the head of the comp sci department and asked, you know, who are your top one or two students and quickly hired uh, those two. Our, our first two hires were uh, David Tyler and Ryan Burns, who are fantastic engineers. Um, and they really helped kickstart our ability to build a robust uh, platform very quickly. So, I mean, within, um, within the first six to eight months, we had a kind of a workable version. That wasn't our own custom tablet yet. That came the following year, but we had a version we could start kind of selling in small scale, sell our first 100 units uh, using that proof of concept. Hmm. Yeah, our first paying customer was six months after we got started. Janice Hansen, who's still a customer to this day, nearly nine years later. So How neat. Um, and part of that, the business side was, you know, there's a lot of great ideas, but can you turn it into a viable right. business that's, you know, uh, you know it's got to be profitable. And so- that was part of getting it out there and testing the business model and will people pay for this and how do we scale it up? Is it a subscription service that they buy? It is a subscription service. And you know, our, our business is really split 50-50. 50% is B2C, direct-to-consumer. Typically, the buyers are 40, 50, 60-year-old adult children buying for their 80-year-old mo- mom, dad, or grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge gift at Christmas time, Mother's Day coming up, Father's Day, et cetera. And um, so it's a family, families helping their, their own family members. And we also sell on Amazon and we sell through other distribution partners. And then the other 50% of our business is B2B enterprise healthcare companies. So both payers and providers, healthcare providers that are integrating it into their care delivery system to improve the quality of care and reduce the cost of care delivery. So telehealth, remote, uh, remote care, check-in. So, so a patient might um, have a grand pad that's actually, that actually comes to them from their health care provider. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so we have several partners that um, Medicare Advantage. So it's part of their Medicare mm. Advantage package mm-hmm. because they know that if we can make sure seniors are connected to their uh, uh, caregivers and socially engaged, that's going to reduce the cost of care. So it's a no-brainer in, to include it. So social isolation and loneliness is a huge problem with uh, uh, super seniors. It was a problem before COVID. It's really a catastrophic issue now. And so mm-hmm. we're really focused on bringing human beings together and reducing that isolation. You make it sound so easy. You have this idea. You develop the product. Six months later, somebody has it. But I mean... W- was it really that easy to get into retailers, to get into healthcare systems? Did you bootstrap this yourselves? What, what really went on? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done by far, but it's also the most rewarding in terms of 
achieving our mission and helping seniors. So, you know, I would just say for anyone that's ever thinking about starting a company from scratch, uh, you know, you should really think, is, A, is it the right time in your life? Are you just so passionate about that mission and that business and that solution that you're willing to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day for five years, yeah. which is really what we did. And, and there's a lot of ups and downs. How, how far in did you, Scott, decide to, to leave? I assume you left a job. And Isaac, you dropped out of school, which I'm curious, Scott, how you felt about that. <laughs> like, at what point did the two of you decide we're all in on this? Yeah, for me, I mean, it was, it was very early on. As, as soon as we saw the impact after those initial prototypes and we saw it firsthand in our own family, like, wow, this can really transform the lives of seniors, their family caregivers, and that there's a business opportunity. Like, and I'm an idea guy. I got like a spreadsheet of 300 business ideas. And a lot of my friends will go, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. This is one that everybody universally said, that's a good idea. I will buy one for my parents. You know, the world needs us. So we, we got a lot of encouragement from friends, family, other and um, angel investors and other people that said, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. We'll help you get this going. Okay. All right. And, and Isaac, what about you? Yeah. So, you know, we started this company when I, um, in my second semester of freshman year of, hmm. of college. And I was all in from that point, working full-time on the company, but also full-time student studying computer science and business. And kind of my, my thought was, you know, just push it as hard as I can, trying to do both, get the degree, finish, but not, you know, lose sight of the company. I ended up having to drop out at, at the end of my junior year. So I still did about three years of school. And it got to a point where, you know, I realized, okay, I can't get any less sleep. I can't spend any more time, wake up any earlier. And, you know, the business um, was growing quickly. We were getting great feedback. We had taken, you know, significant investment from, from partners. And the thing that really pushed me over the edge was, you know, knowing what we were building was something that could allow me to stay more in touch with my grandma and so many other people who are in the same situation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that opportunity wasn't something that would, you know, come around um, again anytime soon. I could always go back to school and finish, but to have the opportunity to work on something that improves my grandma's life and my connection with her, you know, that's something I couldn't get back. So yeah. at Scott, that point, did you agree? I, I did because we were, you know, we were out and he was having a chance to present to some of the top venture capital uh, companies in Silicon Valley. You know, we were meeting international partners. So we were traveling and all over Europe, we're in Switzerland, Germany, Italy, UK, Ireland. We went to ta Taiwan, to Taipei. We met with Stan Shi and his son Maverick, who are the founders of Acer, the fifth largest computer company mm -hmm. in the world. So these were great opportunities. Yeah. And I really didn't want him School to miss, be there. miss out on those things. And so, you know, plus, you know, the kind of the school of hard knocks is a great yeah. teacher and just hands-on building a business. Well, it's kind of par part of the legend, right? right? When you have to drop out of college <laughs> to start the next big thing, right? Um, Isaac, I'm curious also, did you ever imagine that you would be working with your dad? Yeah, it was really natural for my dad and I to work together. Earlier on, when I was, I think about 12, when the App Store came out for the original iPhone, mm -hmm. I put one of the first apps in the App Store. It was a simple, uh, it was the very first math flashcards app for kids, so kids could learn how to do their basic math, addition, subtraction. What was it called? It was called Math Quizzer. Okay. Yep. And so my dad and I worked on that together. It was an amazing experience. You know, I worship Steve Jobs and, you know, he was my idol at the time um, and still someone I really look up to. 
And that app ended up being featured in every Apple store worldwide. Wow. And so that was the coolest thing. And, you know, I loved that experience. And, you know, my dad and I worked together on that. So, yeah, working together was a natural fit for, for Grandpad. And, uh, you know, people will ask, oh, how can you work with, you know, your family members? I work with your dad. I could never do that. But we get along super well. And we, uh, I think, push each other in the right ways and, you know, are able to really collaborate. Well, what's the best advice that either of you have for where, you know, kind of what's the line, right? How, where do you, do you kind of set the father-son relationship aside when you're at the office? Yeah, I think um, for me, as being a people leader for more than 30 years, I, I just have unbelievable confidence and belief in people's ability to do great things. Again, that's something my mom put in me, that you can, you can do anything you set your mind to. So I have high expectations for everybody. For my son, I have even higher expectations because I know what he's capable of. And I think as a people leader and as a father, you, you want to help bring out the best and help people achieve their full potential. And, and that means as a human being, being a good, you know, honest, ethical person with a good heart who's going to help others, you know, that's success for me. And so um, that's what I've tried to create. I, I will say I think there's some father-son or mother-daughter teams that wouldn't work well together, and they should recognize that. And as I said, I feel like we, comp we complement each other a lot. I learn a ton from him every day. So as an example, Isaac, one of the things that he does is really kind of try to look over the horizon and how can we leverage new technology. So of course, the market's abuzz with chat GPT and all the yeah. uh, large language model um, capabilities. Isaac's been on that for a long, long time, we've already incorporated those technologies into our company to help make us better and more efficient and so on. Mm -hmm. That's something I probably would have missed or wouldn't have had time to look at and adopted. And, and so, you know, we just complement each other that way. Isaac, what's your take on the, the, the father-son dynamic? What's it like working with your dad? Yeah, I, th I think it's great. And, and like my dad said, I think people, you know, you should recognize your relationship with your parent if you're thinking about working with them. But, you know, and, and I know we have a good relationship that would, would lend itself well to doing business together. But also, yeah, I think, you know, you also know when to, to turn off the, you know, business discussions, whether it's on, you know, family Christmas or just having a, a dinner or doing something together. There's times for focusing on the business and there's times for focusing on, on the family sure, side. Sure, sure. Um, so I know this hasn't exactly happened overnight. I mean, you've been at this like almost 10 years now. Um, was there a, a, a point, you know, what, what has been the biggest challenge in really, you know, getting it off the ground or has it just been incremental progress? Yeah. The easy thing for sure would have been to give up probably in the first two years. Really? It, it, you know, there's, there's lots of these kind of, you got a big hill to climb and uh, you're struggling, whether it's with funding or getting that first customer or, you know, we had some real technical challenges, like what we've done technically is really hard. And so there was many times where it had been easiest and <laughs> to just give up. Right. But, um, you know, and I, I think a lot of successful uh, CEOs or entrepreneurs will say, you know, it's it's persistence. That's the key that will set you apart and being determined. Mm -hmm. um, but for for us, it was always being pulled forward by the mission and having that feedback loop and mm -hmm. seeing the seniors and their families who are giving us that feedback. We get it from the app store reviews. They call us and then we'd be like, all right, we're going to just persevere and work through this. 
So that's one. You know, the other is having a great team around you that gives you energy and creating one of the, the things that Isaac has really led is creating the GrandPad operating system, the people, process, and tools that really define the culture of our company. Hmm. And, you know, if you, if you can go to work every day and be with people that you enjoy being with, who you get energy from, and who you can riff ideas off of and, and innovate with, that makes it fun and gives you momentum to work through, you know, mm-hmm. tough, tough things. So you now have 165 employees. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. I mean, this from all from this idea that you had as a college freshman. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's funny because on one hand, you've been there at every step of the way, so it it feels natural at this point. But yeah, when you when you zoom out, it's like wow, that that's amazing. And and also too, just you know, seeing the impact that that we've had in the uh, when we look at some of the data on the you know the millions of minutes of video calls that have been able to happen on GrandPad and the mm-hmm. lives that have been able to connect it. That's where I really feel uh, pleased with the impact we've had, but there's still a long way to go. We, we need to connect a lot more people. Yeah. And I just add like COVID when COVID hit in February of 2020 and you just think all of us like what's happening, what's it going to, what's the impact to the, our business. And I remember we, we saw a tweet where we got tagged in a tweet and it was a, um, uh, a, a, 50-year-old lady from Washington State that her father was in uh, in that nursing home where COVID started. Where oh, I remember when, yes. when in the news came out, everyone right. was in Kirkland, Washington. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, thankfully I have grandpad. I'm still able to reach my father who has dementia, who's locked now um, in, in this nursing home. And so, again, we were like, we don't know what's going to happen to our business. And then it just went through the roof because everybody needed GrandPad to connect with the seniors in their life. That's when I remember hearing about you and realizing that you were right here headquartered in Hopkins. How did you end up in Hopkins? Yeah, so I I grew up here. A lot of our team was from Minnesota. Um, We always had an office here, but we were actually living in Southern California. When COVID hit, we came back to help care for family. My mother-in-law, who was aging, we basically moved back at the beginning of COVID and then never went back to California and then really, um, and just really started to grow the team. So office here in Hopkins, office in Southern California, office uh, outside Dublin, Ireland, and Gorey, Ireland. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and how has it been building a tech company here? Yeah, great. Very supportive. I mean, um, both from, you know, the support services, whether it's legal team, investors, bankers, uh, all, all the services that we need. And, you know, the, the, the community really has supported us. Um, I think it's also been a great place to hire people. Really? Um, both for, our, you know, our, our software engineers, our sales team, our finance team, our marketing team. But a really great part of our company is our customer care team. And the Midwest has been fantastic for that hmm. because our customer care, we call member experience. We only hire in small towns like where I grew up, population 1,000 to 10,000. And most of them are spread around Northeast Iowa, Southern Minnesota into Wisconsin. The reason we do that is we can find just absolutely fantastic people. We're oftentimes the largest employer in these small towns. So Spillville, Iowa, population 300. We employ a whole bunch of people in that town. Huh. We can really develop a great relationship with the community, but we can bring great, um, really fulfilling, meaningful jobs to people that might not have as many 
job opportunity is someone who's living in Minneapolis, right? right? What so, a neat opportunity too, and they can work remote, mm-hmm. and that is so yeah, cool. Yeah, we, we started that you know nine years ago before that was fashionable. You know, right. COVID now everybody's right. doing that, but that's a real unique thing of how our customer care works. What do you see as kind of the the next frontier? What are, what are the two of you focused on this year and beyond? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, you know, first, we just want to reach everyone who needs it. I mean, we're still just scratching the surface. The need is enormous. There's more than 32 million super seniors in the U.S. who need our product. So we want to reach all those that, that need it. Second is continuing to innovate in other ways that we can bring seniors together with their family, friends, and caregivers. So with families, as an example, we just rolled out a really cool remote multiplayer game. So uh, if I'm you know, 10 and I'm doing a video call with my 80-year-old great-grandfather, I now, I can be talking to him on video, I can hit a button and we can start playing chess or checkers together in the context of that video call. Hmm. So we're seeing each other, we're talking and we're playing a game together and and having fun. So yeah. just want to make sure that I, a couple couple things I want to understand about how it works. First of all, if if I'm the um, daughter of a, a, a super senior, do I have to have a grand pad too? No. Okay. No. Yeah. We call you the family administrator. Okay. You use our free companion app on your smartphone. Got it. And beyond video calling, which obviously is a huge feature, what else can GrandPad do? Yeah, GrandPad connects the family, uh, puts the senior at the center and connects the family, friends, and caregivers. All the family members, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, just use our free companion app. On that, they can video call the senior, phone call, of course, share photos, videos, play games, check the weather, share information. So think of it as a private family social network Mm. by invitation only. It's a walled garden where only the family is inside and it keeps all the bad guys out. So the senior um, gets no spam emails because the only people who can send email to the super senior Mm -hmm. is people who have been invited in by the family administrator. Okay. And, And as far as not to get too in the weeds, but as far as like you know, the, the senior needs to get email or do, you know, yeah. other things, billing, whatever. Right. They can, can they do they, that? They can do that. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, other sources can be invited in. There's a capability called the Simple Safe Browser. So it's a web browser. So they can go to websites. So that can be turned on fully open internet, go to any site, or it can be limited. Let's say, let's say mom's starting to struggle with dementia and you just want her to be able to go to these three websites only, or you want her to be able to go and watch her church service over the internet, but you don't want her on Facebook, those things can be turned off by the family administrator. Okay. What about TikTok dances? <laughs> yeah, you can watch the videos. Yes, you can. Yeah, for sure. Okay. You, you, you haven't developed an app yet to help with the dancing. <laughs> Not yet. I want that app, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll work on it. Okay. We're, we've got a whole bunch of new capabilities that we're rolling out that's driving the remote care and virtual care. So, of course, senior, seniors can do a telehealth call with their doctor or nurse, but we're building more richness into those interactions that we're going to be rolling out this year that lets this whole concept of hospital at home, mm-hmm. aging in place, where seniors can continue to live where they want to live in their own home, but get the care services they need in a cost-effective way. Hmm. Isaac, what about for you? What are your priorities? Yeah. As Scott mentioned a little earlier, one of the things I've been working on here for a number of months is looking at all these new AI tools and how we can integrate them in with what we do to provide better quality, 
service to our users and to make our company more efficient. So there's two flavors of how we're kind of leveraging these technologies, specifically large language models like ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. One being internal efficiencies. So there's so many things that we do every day that we can leverage these tools to do more quickly, more efficiently. So for instance, one thing that we're, we're just rolling out is when people have IT support questions internally in our company, they can just ask the support line like they usually do. But now, and we're starting this uh, rolling out next week, the AI will reply with that answer right away. And we think around 60% of the time, the AI will have the right answer mm-hmm. and they can just hit resolve and it's done. So that's time saved from our team. And the person asking the question gets an instant answer. So we're doing things like that. And then also we're looking at ways to bring these technologies to our users. So we're looking at you know, ways of basically having you know, an interactive assistant on the grand pad that can tour them around the product. It can play games with them. It can help uh, teach them, you know, how to use the grand pad in, in new ways. So, so lots it's, of so things. it's continued yeah. innovation um, of, of the core product, basically. It is. Yeah. We, we're staying laser beam focused on serving super seniors. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge market. They're so underserved. Oftentimes we get asked like, oh, wow, grand pad, why don't you make grand pad junior for kids or so on? And those are all great ideas, but we want to stay focused on this core market and, yeah. and just be a laser beam. That seems smart. I'm curious if we look down the road a little bit and as people, you know, as the people who are becoming grandparents are people who did, you know, have, have experience with iPads and more technology, do you become obsolete? Yeah, it's a great question. We're asked this all the time. And honestly, when we started 10 years ago, we had the same question for ourselves, like, um, what we've seen in the 10 years is technology's actually gotten harder, right? Think about the technologies we all use. My iPhone I have today is harder than the one I had 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. The TV in my house is more oh, difficult yeah, to use, it. right? Yeah. So sadly, mainline standard technology continues to focus on the younger generation. People are not designing technology solutions. So that's one part. The other part is, um, sadly, as we all age, and, and I hope someday, you know, we come up with a cure for every physical and cognitive um, disease that affects us as we age, whether it's macular degeneration, dexterity, arthritis, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, ALS, MS, all these diseases that we do age into, those continue. And those continue to affect 70 and 80 and 90-year-olds who are more tech savvy and who want to use these tools and want to do video calls, but because of the things that are affecting them, they can't. It just gets harder. So it actually makes a higher demand. Got it. The third thing is, you know, we strongly believe and you've got to innovate or die and we will continue to innovate. And so today, GrandPad is a tablet form factor and looks uh, the way that it looks today. 10 years from now, it won't look like that. We're we're continuing to advance and innovate. Mm Mm-hmm. But we just see an enormous and growing market to provide simple and safe uh, uh, ways for, to, to serve seniors. Ten years from now, are the two of you still running GrandPad? It feels like, I mean, have you already been approached to be acquired? It feels just ripe for a big tech company to come in. Yeah, I, I sure hope we're still running it. I feel like there's a lot left to do. Um, I... I'm extremely motivated. I used to have like a lot of people kind of this fantasy, like I'm going to retire someday. I actually did retire once um, already in my life and it was the worst thing I ever did. (laughs) What I realized is we all need to find our calling, our purpose, Mm -hmm. right? And when you find that, it's no longer work. It's, It's life and it's what you love doing. And that's how I feel now. 
I mentioned, you know, I met Hester uh, uh, Ford, who was 116. I got to spend a lot of time with her. her. Name was Anna. Here, she lived down in Plainview, Minnesota, near Rochester. She was 114 when I met her. Wow. She was born in 1900. Now she she's passed away about five years ago. So I met her way before COVID. Mm-hmm. So born in 1900, I got to spend a lot of time with her. When I asked her five years ago, what are some things that stand out in your life? She said the Spanish flu epidemic in 1917. And she told me all about that. We had to wear masks. It was this terrible pandemic. We thought everyone was going to die. I knew all these people that died. It was horrible. And then it went away. Mm-hmm. So I just tucked that away. When COVID hit, she was the first person I thought of. Like, wow, she weathered through that. So we've met all these just amazingly interesting people. Ed, who works for me now, 102. He's the only Pearl Harbor survivor that I know. Yeah. And so we're really lucky to learn from these folks. And so I hope that like Ed, I can be working when I'm 102, mm-hmm. doing what I love with a sense of purpose. Isaac, you're you're a bit younger. D- does this feel like a calling to you? Yeah, you know, um, since I was young and you know made made an app in the App Store, and, and ever since then, I've wanted to find ways to make technologies that helps people and enables them to live a more fulfilling life. So I don't ever see myself stopping doing that. That's great. Um, words of wisdom or advice for people who are like, wow, they've got it all figured out. I mean, I mean, I think finding that that, you know, hole in the market is so key, but it obviously takes more than that to really bring it to life. Is there a point that you remember that you that you stopped worrying or thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe we should hang it up? Like when do you remember a moment when you really knew this is it? This is going to be successful business and mission. Yeah, I'd say, you know, in the first couple of years, when, once we started getting that feedback loop from seniors and the families and seeing what a difference it made in their life and how it truly improved their quality of life, that's when we really got excited and just even more energized by what we're doing. But there, there is a saying that often comes to mind, and, that, and this is where in the first few years for any someone who starts a company, it's the saying that says, um, uh, su- success always has a thousand fathers. Failure is always an orphan, <laughs> right? So in the first few years, everybody, it's easy for people to say, well, you know, that's a dumb idea. I'm not going to invest in that. Oh, that will never go anywhere. And, and, but then once you start to get some momentum, everybody's like, wow, that's a great idea. I had right. that idea. I sure. should have done that idea. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was going to do that, right? So I think just, you know, really believing in the mission, find the mission that you're passionate about. You know, don't start a company to make money, start a company to solve a problem and something that you're really passionate about. And then just, you just can't give up. You got to really be determined and just stick with it. Yet it's nearly 10 years. Um, some ways, I, as Isaac said, I can't believe how far we've come. On the other hand, we wish we would have reached a lot more people by now. Hmm. How, how, when did you become profitable? You are profitable now. We are. Yeah. It's really in the last couple of years. Um, You know, we've continued to invest. I mean, this is a capital intensive business. It's hardware based with customer service. We've really been focused on building a long term successful business. Yeah. Yeah. Isaac, did you have a moment when you were like, wow, this is really this is really happening. This could be my career. (laughs) I mean, I think um, the moment where we could exhale a little bit and say, hey, we've, we've got something here that seems sustainable. It probably was about five, five or six years in because up through then it was just building, you know, iterating, marketing, raising money, investing uh, or getting investors. 
once we got five or six years in, we got to a point where, yeah, we, you know, we had a large customer base. We've raised, we've raised money to help us, you know, kind of uh, lift off. And we were able to just, okay, we're, now we can focus on running the business, building the product versus in the early days, so much of your time is, you know, pitching and, and selling the product, which you need to do. But it, it, that part of it for me isn't as rewarding because it's time that I'm not building a product. Sure, sure. Well, it's such a cool story, and it's helping so many people. It's really, uh, it's got to feel good to to get up every day and go to work. It does. It's fantastic. People often say, you know, hey, so what can we do? How can we help? Mm-hmm. The thing that I would ask everyone listening is pick up the phone or ideally a video call. Maybe you have a grandpad. Call a super senior in your life, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. We're all in the car. We all have car phones. It's like, you know, just call and say hello. Mm-hmm. So many seniors in our lives are sitting at home alone, and they're just waiting for their kids or grandkids to call them. Yeah. And just that little thing, or, you know, put it on your calendar every Sunday. Call that aunt or uncle, and it's you'll be rewarded, but it will transform their life. So please reach out to a super senior you love. That's a great message. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Isaac. Well, it doesn't get much more feel good than this story. I don't think we've ever had a company on the show that has 116 year old customers. It's really something. For some more perspective on that and this unique customer focus, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Kirk Ryerson is an executive fellow teaching healthcare innovation. Kirk, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love this story. Love the idea. What do you love about it? Well, at the University of St. Thomas, we actually have this conversation in the healthcare innovation courses that I teach. We start with the customer. We do journey maps. We do personas. We get into the idea of really asking yourself, do you know who your customer is? And then we have these fantastic local heroes like Jim Tincher, who is the CEO of a company called Heart of the Customer, coming into the classroom teaching Mm. our students. So what I got out of the story was grandma was (laughs) the passion. Right. And the skill in the entrepreneurial business mindedness of these two individuals, they had their why. You got to have a why. You got to be passionate. And then you also heard that they had the mission that was pulling them through, but it was that dedicated focus. Right. Well, first, I mean, what I, what I loved about it, they said right from the start, they were solving a problem communicating with their grandma. It was about solving the problem. It wasn't about starting a business. Then they realized the same thing that they were doing could be used by others. But I'm curious when you talk about the customer, I mean, isn't every entrepreneur thinking about a customer? Not always. Really? Not always. And this is the best part. So if you, so again, uh, University of St. Thomas, I'm a big fan. (laughs) They have a great group, the entrepreneurial group. And one of the things they do is a business plan challenge. Okay. And the business plan challenge is that idea of who really is your customer. Do you have an idea that's that's marketable? And I think the distinction is there's a, a ton of great ideas. But do you have the right opportunity? Do you have the right focus and mindset? You know, and how do you take that idea to the next level? But the best thing I heard on this story was it was the passion. Mm-hmm. It was knowing that you had to solve for this 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 opportunity for grandma. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that nobody has done this. And the best part about this for me was when I looked around the room and I experienced COVID with my aging parents, Mm -hmm. we ran through this ourselves. Sure. 
and getting mom to use Teams or Zoom. A lot of frustrating calls trying to so direct. Frustrating. Yeah. And then you're taken away from the opportunity of trying to connect with your loved ones because mm-hmm. it's emotionally frustrating because technology. And the other cool thing about this too is, and you heard this in the segment, technology. Mm-hmm. For some people, that's the end all be all. But in this case, it wasn't. Technology was the enabler hmm. to create that connection. So, and they are technologists by, by definition. And it could have been all about the tech, but it was about the experience. They never lost sight of, can grandma plug in the cords? Can grandma charge, charge it? Will it connect? Right. Right. And the idea of making technology simpler, it's true. Technology has exponentially gotten more frustrating, more complicated. We have all these buttons and widgets. And for people that have, whether they're aging or they have other challenges, technology is not user-friendly. Right. It just isn't. So right. how do we have these populations that we, we love stay connected as we evolve? Right. So, so technology might be the way to accomplish the goal, but, but you can't, it's not the be all end all. It can't be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this idea. And then they talked about empathy. Mm -hmm. And for some people that really resonates for me, it's like, that's the only question. Hmm. Meaning when you're in healthcare and we did this years ago, we were implementing electronic medical records, Epic. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, this would be the greatest thing in the world. And our, and our care teams, our providers were frustrated. This is when you were at... I was at Hennepin County Medical Center and Health East Fairview mm-hmm. and boots on the ground. Exactly what... So our version of grandma was our providers. Mm-hmm. And then our version of grandma was our patients. And we thought the tech was cool, but it wasn't cool. It didn't work. They uh-huh. had questions. Uh-huh. And then we took a step back. We realized we don't start with our customer. We throw products. We put it on, on a shelf mm-hmm. and hope it works. What's really cool about this story, they started with the customer first. They started with the problem first, and they worked a solution to embrace that opportunity as opposed to saying, I think it's 70% good enough. I hope it works. And then they had a customer service mindset. Mm -hmm. They were tirelessly committed to excellence, end-to-end, including packaging. I mean, they thought about it all, but they didn't stop improving. Yeah. And they had this something that's also a game changer, which I think you got to have in every organization's feedback. Mm-hmm. There's one thing to take a survey and never respond to it or take a survey and fill it out and never hear back. They have the feedback and then they've got this advisory group of their ideal customer base, these super seniors, and then they employed them. So they're continuously getting feedback to innovate. But it all started with with them knowing to have a perfect product, they had to start with the customer. Right. I love that. I think we talk so much these days about purpose and mission, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. but we need to add to that list people yes. who are who is going to be yeah. using this product. You can't just solve a problem without thinking about the people. Yeah. Or having a conversation where it's driven by market share, margin, mm-hmm. profits. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, you've, you've got products, but this product, like every other product, and I think you mentioned this, is what's the competitive edge? Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate? How do you stay ahead of the competition? And I love the answer. And I was also thinking this to myself because I could find a similar product out there, but I wouldn't want to because this company has a mission. They have a purpose. They're dedicated. They have a support line that answers a phone. I know. Have you ever been in a situation where you just need to get help? And it's like, please enter your 12-digit ID, yeah. followed by your social security number. And like, you never get the help you need, but they know their customers. Mm-hmm. How right. cool is that? Right. It so, is so cool. 
I was inspired. I went out to, you know, Amazon. I mm-hmm. found a product. I downloaded their app. I'm going to drop one off with mom. Really? 82 years old. I want to see how she, how she does. Oh, well, I'm you'll, I you'll mean, have to I was inspired. <laughs> I will. I think other people are too. And I think there's a lot of takeaways for other entrepreneurs. So thank you for for broadening out the story and providing this great perspective. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. By All Means.